getting closer, going faster than a roller coaster. Love like yours will surely come my way. Hey, hey, hey. Hey there, thanks for downloading. This is Mike Friedman from Critical Mass. We're broadcasting from Southeast London. And I'm sitting here with my niece, Skye, who's 10 years old. Now, Skye, you don't know why we're sitting here to have a conversation, do you? No. Uh, do you want to tell the audience a little bit about yourself before we uh, get started? Well, um, as Mike has said, my name is Skye, and I like to draw and sing. And my favorite color is blue. We're here to talk about the documentary I'm working on. You know that much, right, Sky? Yep. But do you know what the documentary is about? No, not... No. What I'm going to do is I'm going to explain the ideas behind the documentary. And I want you to ask me any questions that you have. Because the objective of this podcast is to establish the fact that the basic principles of ecology, economics, peak oil, environmentalism, population issues, all of those things can be fully explained effectively to a 10-year-old. You gave me a bit of a scared look there. I don't know what you just said, but okay, I'll just listen. Okay. Now, the documentary that I'm making is about the impact of human population growth and consumption on the planet. So it's about establishing a relationship between how many people there are, how those people live, and what happens on the planet. Do you know anything about the environmental situation we're in right now worldwide, Sky? Well, I know that um, pollution is causing ice caps to melt, and... um there's loads of people dying and living. <laughs> and that's really the basics of what I know right now. Let's start then with pollution is making the ice caps melt. You're talking, of course, about climate change. Is that correct? Yes. Are you talking about something you learned in school or are you talking about something that uh, you picked up from television or what? It's half and ha- half because um, in school I did a poem about the ice caps. That's right, you did. I remember that one. And... I also watched the telly about the news and the ice caps melting. Where does pollution come from? Pollution comes from all the toxic fumes in the air, like from cars and trains and things like that. But then if pollution comes from things like cars and trains and factories, what are those things there for? Um, they're for us and our travelling and for us, basically. So, if pollution comes from things that are there for us, then where does pollution come from? From us. So, would you say, then, that it makes sense that the more of us that there are, and the more cars and trains and factories we use, the more pollution there will be? Yes, because there's if there's more quantity, then there's going to be more pollution. Well, there you go, Sky. See, the whole point of the documentary is, in my experience, when I've been learning about the environment, people who discuss the environment are always very eager to discuss the problems that they are focusing on, like pollution or water problems or food shortages. But it's very rare that anyone genuinely discusses why there are water and food shortages, why there's so much pollution. And that's what we're going to be discussing today and in the documentary. So, first off... You said you're aware that pollution is making the ice caps melt. What is making the pollution? 
Well, the pollution is the toxic fumes in the air. Right, but they're they're put there by people, right? Yeah. So people are making the ice caps melt. Yes. Does that make sense? Yes, but the problem is there. Some people are making the pollution, but some people are trying to stop the pollution. And the only way that we can stop the pollution is by people not polluting the earth. Well, that seems very simple when you put it like that, but then what happens to things like cars and factories that currently produce pollution, but that we also, I'm not going to say need, but that we've become very used to in the way we live? Well, we're... If we're going to keep on using it, then we're just going to have to live with pollution or we can decide not to use it or use, like... Well, we can't really do it in Britain because there's no sun, but, you know, in Jamaica, they um, use those solar sun cars and stuff like that. But in Britain, you can use, like, a cold sun car or something that's related to cold. I'm going to assume that you're basing that on an idea rather than facts, Sky. Have you seen a solar-powered car before? Yes. Where? In Jamaica in the movie. What movie was that? Cool Runnings. <laughs> okay. The second thing that you mentioned, a lot of people living and dying. Yes. How many people are there on the planet right now? I don't know exactly, obviously. No one knows exactly, but there's billions and billions of people on the Earth. Do you know how many billions? Do you have a? Do you want to guess? Um. Yeah, I'll guess. I'll try and guess. Um. Six billion. Very good, Sky. Actually, there's six point seven billion people on the planet. Good guess. <laughs> good work. Uh. Now. Those six point seven billion people. Have we always had that many people on the planet? No. Um. The world. It's evolved from. Basically, we've evolved evolved from apes, and there weren't as many apes go on, on the go on. planet as humans are on the planet now. How dramatic an increase in human population do you think we've had over, say, the last 100, 150 years? Um, I don't know, really. Your grandfather, <clears throat> my father, mm-hmm. when his father was born, it was 1911. Yeah? Okay. So your poppy's dad mm-hmm. was born in 1911. How many people do you think there were on the planet in 1911? Probably about 6 billion point two. So you think that we've had half a billion more people since 1911. That's your guess? Yes. Okay. In 1911, there were approximately one and a half billion people on the planet. Wow. So, you guys do mathematics at school? Yeah. If there's 6.7 billion people now and there was 1.5 billion people thereabouts in 1911, mm-hmm. then over the past 100 years, how many people have arrived? Okay. Um, 5.2. Okay. So... You guessed that we would have half a billion more people over the past hundred years, and it actually turns out that we've had 5.2 billion more people over the past hundred years. But how do you feel about that? What is it? What is what pops into your head when I say something like that? Our population in the future being some people have to move to different planets because there's too many people on the Earth. Okay. Um, the second thing that you said that 
you know about our environmental situation is that there's lots of people living and dying. Now, that's very true. The question is, obviously, how those people are living and how those people are dying. Mm -hmm. With 6.7 billion people on the planet, how many of them do you think live like us? Electricity, sanitation, decent food, clean water. How many people out of 6.7 billion live like that? Um, I'd say 4.8 billion. No, billion. 4.8 billion. Yeah. So you reckon that out of 6.7 billion people, 4.8 billion people live well the way we do? Yes. You're not that far off. But what's interesting is the drama of the difference. Out of 6.7 billion people, 1 billion of them are chronically hungry. As in, you know, you, you came over last night with your dad. We had some dinner. We sat down, we watched a movie. You guys slept over, we woke up, you had breakfast. So, since you got here, you've had two meals, and you've been here for 12 hours? Yes. Some people go for 24 hours without a single meal. Over a billion people. If 6.7 billion people are on the planet, and one billion of them are already going hungry, actively hungry, and another around one billion are what we call undernourished or malnourished, which means... They get food, but they don't get the right kinds of food. They don't get enough of it. Would you say that we are succeeding with the amount of people that we have on the planet now? No, I, because it's better to have less quantity and more quality rather than having more quantity and less quality. Because then imagine if there's loads of people on the planet, but there's not, there's not enough food to go around. Just to just to make one thing perfectly clear to our listeners, you're 10 years old. Yes. And when we sat down to have this conversation, you told me that you didn't know anything about what I was doing in my documentary or what we were going to talk about. So when you say something like it makes perfect sense that if that's our situation that we need more quality and less quantity rather than the other way around, that seems to me like that's a very logical, natural step for you. You didn't have to sit there and think for a long time about that, did you? No. So why do you think it's so clear? Because, basically, I've just... I've seen pictures, because I've adopted an elephant from Africa, and I've seen pictures of all the poor people from Africa, and it makes me think, should we have more quantity, or should we have less quantity? That's how I came up with it. So would you say that you think that those poor or hungry people in Africa are poor or hungry because there's too many people competing for not enough food? It's not just that. It could be because the climate that they live in, because it might be really hot or it might be really cold or there might not be like lots of fruit or vegetables growing there, so... They have to get it from somewhere else or they just can't get it from somewhere else. Well, what you're really talking about there, Sky, is the market for food distribution, which is something that we do have a great deal of inequality with. Because when you create a marketplace for food where people can afford to eat if they have the money to buy the food and they can't afford to eat if they don't have the money to buy the food, then really... It creates a situation where people go hungry, even if there is food somewhere in the world it's that they could eat. because they don't have money. Exactly. 
Now, that danger, obviously, is that some things are what we would call a human right. Do you know what human rights are, Sky? Yes. What are human rights? Human rights are something that every person, basically not what they need, but what everyone should have. Like, everyone should have a family, everyone should have love, everyone should have respect, everyone should have, every child should have a school, every child should have a right, every person has should have a right to learn, and that's some of the rights that people have. Would you say then that food is a human right? I wouldn't say food's a human right, but it's a human need. But then where do you draw the line between a need and a right? People need food more than they need education, if you want to be very basic about it. But you said that education is a human right. How can food, if it's more important to your survival than education, how can food not be a human right? Well, because as we're talking about, not everyone has food. So I think it hasn't been a human right because if it's a human right, then everyone should have it but some people don't have it but then that means that it hasn't been treated as a human right it doesn't mean that it shouldn't be a human right mm. it yeah it should be a human right then because it's something that everyone has a right to have food right so the food marketplace then that we were describing where people who in the world there is enough food to feed them go without food because they don't have the financial power to compete for that food in a marketplace that requires money more than need. Do you think that that's something that governments should be talking about? A way of making sure that we don't have hungry people out there? I think, yes, I think that the governments should decide whether the other governments, obviously the, the some other governments, they want some countries to have more food but some governments don't that's just what i'm assuming because not all governments are perfect well so far what have we learned about the environment i've learned that it's better to have less quantity but more quality and the fact that our human you know how the population is rapidly um, increasing over the years and how some countries don't have enough food when food is a human right. Everyone should have food and enough food. I think I know every person deserves, has a right to have the right amount of food and I think that I feel like our country is wasting food because we're starting to throw away food that we can eat. And if there's some people who don't get enough food, then would they be throwing it away? Well, no, they'd be eating it, wouldn't they? Yeah, so you've got to think about what you've been throwing away. Well, to put it another way then, Sky, do you think that because we've developed such a complex system for distributing food for keeping it cold, for keeping it fresh, for making sure that it gets where we want it to be. Do you think that the complexity of that system should come with a certain responsibility? That if we're capable of putting 
people in our country and in other countries throughout the West in a position where they have access to so much food that they can get obese, that they can get heart disease, that they can get diabetes. If we're able to deliver food that effectively to our own people, do you think that we should have a responsibility to deliver food to people who don't have it? Yes, I think that we should start a sort of campaign where we deliver food to the poor countries who can't afford food. I think we should do that. Do you think that providing them with food is good enough, or do you think that looking at the system that prevents them from having access to food based on their access to money? Maybe if we change the system slightly because they might be making food too expensive for them so they can make it cheaper or they could change it slightly where people can grow their own stuff and I think that's what we should do because our country has a responsibility and other countries as well so I think that's what we should do. Why do we have a responsibility? Because we have basically enough money and we have enough food and we have, not everyone in England, but most people have a lifestyle, a home, fresh water, but that's, we've got an advantage basically. So while we're having a nice life, some people out there are, starving, dehydrating, not living in a house. And I think that that is why we have a responsibility. That if we can live this well, then part of the price of living this well is that we should help other people to live better as well. Yes. And part of that is also stopping the active prevention of those people making their lives better. Because part of the problem is that they don't have the same material comforts that we have. And part of it is that we've put in place a system that takes from countries that can't afford to give in order to provide us with the comfort that we have. So I think that there's two parts there, but I think that's a very good answer. Um, But why do you think that, why do you think it's so difficult for governments or banks or international institutions to look at this situation and just say, well, wait a minute, this is wrong. We have a lot. In fact, one could even say that we have too much. It's not hard. They just, they, I'm sure they've thought about it, but they haven't taken action. One of the other things that we're going to talk about in the documentary is something called peak oil. You're giving me a very, very strange look there, Sky. What's that look? What's that? (laughs) Okay. When you and your father came over to my house yesterday... Yeah. Your dad drove, right? Yes. And what goes in the car? Fuel. Right. Where does fuel come from? The earth. Okay. If fuel comes from the earth, would you say that there's a limit to how much fuel can be in the earth? Yes, because um, the earth can only hold so much, and we're just squeezing every last bit that we can out of it. And it's really bad. Okay, so if the earth is only so big, and therefore there can only be so much oil in it, Mm -hmm. and as humans, obviously we can't, there's certain places where we can't go for oil, where it's just too difficult to get out of the ground or too expensive. Yeah. So peak oil basically means not that we're running out of oil, but what it means is that the oil that's left 
is in the hardest to reach places. It's the most expensive to get out of the ground. Now let me give you an example. If you need a liter of oil out of the ground, but by the time you've sent people there and built the extraction facility and gotten it out of the ground and then refined it and then transported it to the point where you sell it to the drivers, if it costs you, say, two liters of fuel to produce one liter of fuel, does that make sense? No, because you're just wasting money. Right. So peak oil is basically the idea that at some point in the very near future, companies that have based their entire business on making money from fuel will be in a position where the fuel that is left is in the hardest places to reach, and they won't be able to make enough of a profit to justify extracting the fuel. Does that make sense? Yes. So what does that mean? It means basically because we've taken all the fuel fuel out of the easy places, the first places that we can get it, so now we're having to take it out the hardest places, and therefore it's more expensive, and therefore in the future... Um, basically the companies that it's going to be really hard for them. I don't know how they're going to go on and cope. So what happens when people decide that they can't make enough money or it's not efficient enough to take fuel out of the earth? What happens? I'm not sure. Does it make sense that if a company can't make a decent profit from doing something, does it make sense that they would then stop doing that thing? Yeah, that makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. So, if you can't make money extracting oil because you have to burn so much oil to get it, or it's in such a difficult place that it becomes incredibly expensive, and you end up having to charge 5, 10, 15 pounds for a liter of petrol, which obviously nobody can afford to buy, then you're out of business effectively, aren't you? Yes, because no one will buy it. Right, so if no one will buy it, no one will produce it, right? Yes. And if no one produces it, then we don't have any oil, do we? No. So what is peak oil? Peak oil is basically where um, we have been, as I said earlier, and we have been using the oil from the easy places. Then we're going to the harder places, but we're using um, fuel going there. So we're wasting fuel going there, taking, taking it out and going back and selling it. And also in the future, it's going to be really expensive and no one's going to buy it. So basically, they're going to go. So what happens if a modern society like ours runs out of oil, Sky? Disaster. Like what? I think we won't be able to cope then. Why wouldn't we be able to cope? Because if you think about it, basically, not our whole life, but our lives, like, what if some people, they can't go outside and they need to order food? Go on. Then something needs to come around for them. You mean like Meals on Wheels for old people, for instance? Yes. Okay. Basically. And they won't be able to have that. It's going to be a very troubled world. And I think that um, it's going to be hard to get even everyday supplies like clothing microphones um and lots of other everyday things it's going to be really hard to get 
because we're basically wasting it by using other things that we might not need to use. So you mean by turning oil into things that we don't necessarily need just because we have plenty of it now, we're actually wasting oil that we're really going to need in the future. Yes, because people, some people aren't thinking about, well, if we're running out right now, what's going to happen in the future? Hmm, I don't know. Maybe we're going to run out of oil. How many people do you think are born every day? And when I say born, I don't mean in total. What I mean is, after you adjust for the number of people that have died each day, how many new people are left on the planet? How many new people on the planet every day, do you think? Um, six. Six new people on the planet every day. Yes. What if I told you that there was somewhere in the region of 215,000 new people on the planet every day? Okay. Do you think that if people had access to condoms, access to contraception, access to fertility controls, and were actually educated about how to use these things? Then there might not be as many people because there are some, you know, young people who are, you know, they think they want a kid, but when they have a kid, they don't want it. Actually, <clears throat> uh, the statistic is that approximately 40% of births are either unplanned or unwanted. So 40% is almost half, isn't it? Yeah. In certain countries, they have very high fertility rates, but they also have attitudes towards contraception, which labels them bad or illegal or just very difficult to get a hold of because for one reason or another, whether it's religion or uh, politics, governments and organizations haven't taken the steps to make sure that everyone on the planet has access to contraception and education about contraception. Now, would you say that that would be a necessary way to address the population problem? Well, I half and half because it would be a good idea because it will sort people out, but some other people might not listen and basically they need to be taught a lesson. So if they are taught the lesson... Which lesson? Having an unwanted child, then they'll never make the mistake again. Well, all over the world, there are women that either aren't educated or aren't empowered, where their husband tells them how many children they're going to have, where they sometimes are forced into marriages that they don't want. Or they basically... They some women in the world are, if I put it in this way, they're sort of getting pushed around by the men. Right. Exactly. Now, you can dress that up in any way you want. You can say that it's culture. You can say it's religion. You can say it's tradition. But what it comes down to is, almost without exception, and I only use the word almost because I'm willing to accept that an exception that I don't know about may exist, almost without exception, whenever women are given education, employment, and access to fertility controls, they choose to have fewer children. Does that make sense to you, Sky? Yes. Why? Because, basically, if a lady is working, then they'd be too busy to have a child, and they'd be too focused on basically having a life. So, would you agree that another way of approaching the population issue 
is to make sure that women around the world have good education, good chance of employment, a sense of control over their own lives, and access to fertility controls like contraception? Yes, because as we've been talking about there, there might be too much, um, like, children being born, and it would help, and it would help everything all round. So it would basically be helping, not not solving the problem, but solving a little chunk of the problem by doing that. The final thing I wanted to say about the film is that what we're trying to do is we're trying to see the way that we live today as a whole system. Do you know what a whole system is, Sky? Um, no. Okay. Our Earth is a planet, right? Yes. So it's this round ball. Mm-hmm. It's got an atmosphere. Yes. Everything that's on the planet is all that we have, right? Yeah. So you could look at the Earth as a whole system. Mm-hmm. Now... We don't want to get into something as crazy as chaos theory, but really what we're saying is if the Chinese build a new coal-fired power station every day, then eventually the smoke from that coal will affect someone living on the other side of the planet. Does that make sense? Yes. You live in an apartment with your father, right? Yes. So if he farts in the living room, eventually you'll smell it in the kitchen, right? Yes. Does that make sense? Yes. (laughs) So, does it make sense to look at the Earth as a whole system? Yes. So if we are extracting resources out of the ground, extracting food and water and oil and minerals, and at the same time we're neglecting certain groups of people in order to have unrealistically luxurious lives ourselves, then really, at its basis, that's being kind of selfish, isn't it? Yes. It's being very selfish, actually. Why do you think we're doing that? I think because humans are built this way. Once they have what they want, what they want is not enough. They want more. Do you think that that's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy, though? That the act of getting what you want consistently kind of programs your brain to expect everything that you want to be given to you or to be available? Yes, everything. Yeah. So basically, if you get everything that you want, then, as Mike just said, obviously you're going to feel like you need it. You start thinking that, basically, you know when we're talking about rights, your mind, it sets it to be a right, basically, to have what you want. At whatever the cost. Yes. Would you agree, then, that part of the problem that we have is we need to take a look at our own minds as well yes (laughs) you look a bit tired there sky do you feel worn out (laughs) yeah um now this is all fairly new stuff for you right yes but you seem to have gotten your head around it pretty fast do you think that it's difficult to understand these problems if someone takes the time to explain them to you no it's not difficult at all so in my film Basically, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to explain these problems to as many people as possible. Because I think that the more people that know about them, the more chance we have of changing things. That's a good point. So, do you feel that I have accurately, or at least effectively, explained some of these issues to you? Yes, you really made it clear now. And the one thing we didn't talk about 
is economics. What do you know about economics, okay? Nothing. <laughs> what do you know about the economy? Um... Does your dad give you pocket money? Yes. Do you have to do chores for that pocket money? Um, yes, and also I have to be good. So, you have to behave yourself and do chores, and in return your father gives you money, right? Yes. That's economics. That's all economics is. Some people work, and some other people, people give them money. Think, think of your apartment, right? Yeah. If your apartment was a country, yes. then your father needs to make sure that you guys have electricity and gas that the house is in good repair, that you have new furniture when stuff wears out, that there's always food, right? Yes. So all of those things get brought in to the apartment, right? The electricity comes in through a cable, the gas comes in through a pipeline, the food comes in in the shopping bags, right? Mm -hmm. These are imports. That's all importing is, is bringing things that aren't there in, yeah? Mm -hmm. In return for these things, your father has to work, doesn't he? Yes, to get the money. Exactly. So, economics is simply the study of the relationship between the work people do, the things that they buy, and how that relates to the larger system that they live in. Does that make sense? Yes. Now, let me ask you a question. If I told you that it was good for your economy, remember, your apartment is now an economy. Okay. If I told you that it was good for your economy... For you guys to have more and more stuff all the time. Does that make sense? No. Why not? Because if you have more and more stuff, it's going to get crowded. And it, it would take up loads of space. So would you say then that there's a limit to how much growth you can have in your economy? Yes. Now what if the people who made the rules and the people who gave you advice and the people who spoke to the media all talked about growth, this idea that we need to have more and more of everything every year, as if it was the only way forward. Does that make sense? No. Why not? Because if you have more and more things, it's actually going to be the worst thing. Because if you have some things, then that should be enough for us. You, All you need is what you can survive on. You... All, basically, all you need is enough food, enough water, and I'm not saying we need it, but it would be nice nice if we had, um, like, entertainment or things like that. But if you looked at your apartment as an economy, then there's, no, there's a limit to how much stuff you can fit in that economy, right? Yes. There's a limit to how many people can live in the apartment. Yes. There's a limit to how much food you can fit in the fridge. Yeah. There's a limit to how much furniture you can have in the living room. Mm-hmm. So, if those limits are so basic and so obvious to you at the age of 10, why do you think economists with degrees who've studied for years are coming out of universities and postgraduate courses and advising politicians and companies that we can grow forever in the, in the future? That the only way for things to be good, for life to be good is for us to grow all the time. Because some people, they think that more is better, but more isn't better. Just imagine if you had a small little room and there were lots of people in it, 
and more and more people kept on coming in and coming in and coming in and coming in. Is that good? Well, no. What we're talking about in our film is exactly that. The people who are coming in, the way those people live, because obviously if there's only a certain amount of food in the apartment, in your small room, then if you have 15 people in a room and there's only 10 slices of pizza, five of them go hungry, right? Mm-hmm. So we're talking about how many people are coming into the room, how those people live in terms of what they eat and what they consume, and why we have an economic system that demands that more people keep showing up. Because if you have a system that keeps telling you that more and more people have to turn up, that more and more food has to be eaten, that more and more stuff has to be bought, but you're still only in that small room, then there's only one end to that story, isn't there, Sky? Everyone goes hungry, and everyone doesn't have enough things. Because we go over the edge, don't we? Yes. When we sat down here, you didn't know anything about the documentary or about the stuff that we were going to discuss. No. Do you feel that now you do know a little bit about those things? Yes. And a 10-year-old girl has managed to understand pretty much all the subjects that we'll be discussing in the documentary. You should be very proud of yourself. But also, does that make you wonder why some people find it so difficult to either understand or admit that these things are happening? I don't understand why... If you think about it, I'm 10, I got it, and there's other people who are like twice my age and they still don't get it. It's kind of scary, isn't it? Yes. So what what can we do? What can people do to make things better? Well, we can actually think about what we're doing and take action. What kind of action? Like making sure the women they get educated and have resources and so that therefore there won't be more people than we need in the world and also think about what we're doing with fuel it's just one really important thing to remember is it's not about how many people we need in the world because that seems to bring up this idea of the type of people we want. It's about how many people we can support. There's a limit in any system to how many people you can support. Do you know the name of the film? No. The name of the film is Critical Mass. Do you know what Critical Mass is? What? Well, Critical Mass is a scientific term that they use to describe the point at which nuclear fission explodes. Critical Mass is also a term in social dynamics that is used to describe when a certain amount of people all have a certain idea and there's enough people in a given society or culture to make a significant change. Okay. So that's what we're trying to do. Mm-hmm. We're trying to point out that we've reached critical mass in terms of what we can do to our planet and also that we need to reach critical mass in terms of how many of us there are out there having these conversations, recording podcasts and putting them on the internet, making documentaries, writing books, writing articles, writing letters to newspapers, and making noise about this, so that eventually, hopefully, we can have a real change. Yeah. Does that make sense? Mm Mm-hmm. Do we get your vote? Yes. High five. All right, Sky. Thank you very much for joining us, ladies and gentlemen. That was the fabulous Sky Kelly Walter Friedman. Let's hear it for her. 
Thank you.